This, this is Brock and Salk. Brock Heward is my hero. Jay Buter just punched me in the kidney. On Seattle Sports Station. I actually heard Brock wanted to agree to doing it unless he got top billing. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Streaming audio and video on the Seattle Sports app. Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Salk. Hello! Yes, here we go with the Brock and Salk Show. Seattle Sports of 10, SeattleSports.com, Seattle Sports app, and all of the podcast platforms out there. Wherever uh, you like to find them, we are there. So uh, hopefully you're you're doing that. Download it. Listen to it whenever you want. Super easy that way. Uh, thanks for uh, letting me take the day off yesterday. I missed all of you, and I did have a lot to – I was kind of bummed. I had a lot to say yesterday about the way those uh, championship games went. So maybe I'll take a <laughs> – I was about to tell you we, you were going to have tell. to work on Sunday. Ugh. You were texting us throughout both – well, throughout the first game, yeah. Quite so, a bit. so Sunday was quite the cluster. Um, I'm not gonna lie, it worked out very well that I had taken Monday off. So, uh, for those who didn't, who didn't hear, uh, we uh, we we did get our puppy finally on Sunday. Her name is Gertie, and uh, I'll have some more <laughs> info here for you this morning. But yeah, she was supposed she was coming from Memphis. A long story. She lives. Uh, she grew up, or she was born. I guess she didn't grow up, but she was she born. Grew she grew How up in a small know? town in Mississippi. Uh, <laughs> no, she did though. Corinth, Mississippi, which is outside of Memphis. So on on uh, on Sunday, she woke up in Mem- in uh, in Mississippi very very early. Like I think like four in the morning, maybe earlier. They had an hour and a half. You mean drive. when we get up every day? I know. Yeah, but I think earlier than that. They had an hour <laughs> and a half drive. From Corinth to the airport in Memphis, I think she got dropped off at like 5 a.m. in Memphis. So, yeah, it must have been even earlier. That must have been like at least 3.30 that they left their house. She traveled with the uh, puppy nanny because that's how they get around from Memphis to Houston and was supposed to get on a flight from Houston to Seattle, which was going to get in at 1 p.m. Well, that flight was overbooked, so she got bumped. So the nanny knowing that there were no more flights really from Houston to Seattle, bailed on on Houston, took a flight to Vegas, figuring that there'd be a lot of flights from Vegas. But unfortunately, one of the flights had been canceled to that morning. So everything was crowded through the rest of the day. Needless to say, she did not get on a flight until after 8 o'clock in Vegas. So she spent like the entire day in the Vegas airport <laughs> playing blackjack with my dog say, yeah. and then um, got on literally the last seat on the last flight out of Vegas. So she didn't get in until 11, 11 p.m., which is funny. Anyway, we get to the airport. My kids have signs, which is funny. Uh, that welcome Gertie, both in French and in English. Avery translated it, which was very nice. You know, just in case she didn't speak French. Wow, yeah, you never know. I mean, she's a French bulldog, so you would hope she would, you know, Smart. Yeah. at least have picked some bases. of it up. Yeah, just with her lineage. But Avery wanted to cover her bases, so we got both things out there. You ever uh, stand at the airport with a sign? I have not. No. Quite the situation. Experience? So we go upstairs, right? We were going to wait in baggage claims. Like, it's a mess down here. It's a, it's a circus, Maura. So we went upstairs, <laughs> and uh, we waited kind of by where the C&D gates and, you know, kind of merge into the rest of the airport when you're exiting. And uh, it's late, so it's not like a ton of people around. But every single person who walks by makes the same joke, like, oh, you spelled my name wrong. (laughs) So you get that joke, like, (laughs) literally five times in a row, which is kind of funny. One of the flight attendants is like, oh, what are you waiting for? Are you waiting for an exchange student? Because of the French. We're like, no, we're waiting for a puppy. She's like, oh, can I wait with you? I want to meet the puppy. (laughs) It's like, well, yeah, I can't. Like, what am I going to say? No, you can't wait with us? Yeah, that's weird. So we're like, okay. She's like, oh, is that weird? We're like, uh, no. 
Yes. Right? I mean, kind of, but okay. She's like, oh, well, I'll, I'll give me your phone. I'll, I'll take some pictures of the whole thing happening. So that was nice. At least she sort of yeah. you know, gave us some space. And so we have it on video of, of us meeting Gertie for the first <laughs> time. Anyway, fast forward to today, and I have an announcement. Uh, I'm going to be taking a year-long leave of absence from the show to spend all of my time with Gertie. Properly raised yeah. Gertie. Yeah, I think I, we, do, we all understand. I'm in love and uh, I think I'm done for a while. I don't think I'm going to be coming in. I don't think I have anything else to say about sports. I'm just going to talk about this weird little curious eight pound, 12 week old, silly little dog that's hopping around my house because she seems to believe that she's a rabbit instead of a dog. Mm. She is a riot. I love her. She is adorable. She's very sweet. And uh yeah, I don't know. I miss Wendell so much, but this is the first time like since he passed in April that kind of felt good. Maura, you were right. And those two pictures, are, uh, you were absolutely right. You nailed it. I was like, man, I am smiling and like really a lot in both these pictures. Yeah, you sent us multiple pictures of Gertie, but also oh. two pictures of you with Gertie, one with the family and one without. And in both of them, you have this like little kid on Christmas morning <laughs> that got the exact gift they wanted. Like, I can't believe this is happening. Smile. That's kind of how I felt, to be it's, honest with you. pretty funny. So she's adorable. And uh, yeah, I have nothing else to say uh, for the next year. So I'm sorry <laughs> if you've enjoyed the show for the last you know year and a half. So with Brock back or two and a half years, but whatever, however long it is, um, you're just going to have to wait another year until I'm able to, to function again. Right. It's going to be really hard without you. Well, as it turns out, Justin, um, they're like uh, they're like kids, but harder. Like, I forgot how hard this whole thing is to raise a dog they're exhausting they're like toddlers they need constant supervision they're pooping constantly <laughs> they they like the moment they go to sleep and then the moment you sit down to work they wake up and want to play again so i don't know how anybody and then there's does the stage this. where they just bite everything i know chew on you know. and nip at your ankles oh, we haven't gotten to that and they yet. don't know how sharp those little teeth are sharp they're sharp little teeth yes it's all true and uh, frenchies are not like the most mature breed so anyway <laughs> that's what i got going on um we have so much cool stuff today though so no i'm not gonna leave i promise i will be here for a little while sorry 206 um let's see what do we want to talk about today i gotta talk i, I promise i'm gonna get to Dan Campbell and his decision making because I would have fired him at the end of the third quarter. Like I, I just I would have absolutely lost my mind if I were the owner or president. This or is something your thing though. Like this has been your thing all season. It's not a Dan Campbell. No, decision. but that was the it's worst like, example of it. No, it's Dan Lanning. It's Dan Jim Lanning Harbaugh. Too, yeah. It's Andy Reid. Like it's everybody. They all they they're all making these same mistakes over and over again. And it's not just the the uh, the analytic. I'm not sitting here blaming the analytics. I, I, like I'm not, I'm I'm perfectly willing to understand that over long periods of time, data like that will work out. Okay, if you were to run that that move, where you've got to make a decision from the what was it, thirty yard line, not even twenty eight yard line, like I, I get it. Like if you were to do it a hundred times, it would work out in in the favor of going for it two extra times. It's probably true, but the downside of giving them the opportunity to change and give them hope and the entire everything that happens the moment you fail in that situation is too great to take when you're up two scores already. Yeah. Yeah, you don't have to convince me of that. You're up 14 points. Kills me. Kick the freaking field goal, you moron. 
You're on the road in the playoffs. Points are really hard against to come by. Against a better team. A better team. This is not week 12. The whole, against somebody the whole and thing like, is Ugh. just, it's absurd. I hate it. And yeah, I absolutely hated it. It it gave the it gave the Ravens hope when Andy Reid did the same thing in that game. It didn't end up working that way. Okay, fine. But it was still a bad call that changed that game. And so I, I just, I feel like these coaches need an intervention. Anyway, I'll get to that a little bit later. The Mariners made a really big deal yesterday. It sort of doesn't sound that way because all they did was just get, you know, a second baseman. They gave up four guys to get him. And the guys they gave up, you know, it's a reliever, a depth guy that they just got basically to take his salary off of San Francisco's hands and then a couple of, of, of prospects. But this kind of makes their offense not bad. Like, we're going to have to talk about injury issues on this team a lot, and we'll dig into that at 7 o'clock this morning, and we'll hear a little bit more about Polanco from a buddy of ours in uh, in Minnesota coming up here in a half hour, 20 minutes. But start running what the what the lineup looks like. It's kind of good. I mean, it's not it like great. Like, no, it looks fast. I'm not like telling you it's like, you know, power. 27 Yankees. It's not. It's not that. But, like... You start like writing out what the what the lineup looks like, and you're like, oh, huh. Ty France is hitting eighth. Okay. Like it, it, this is a guy that you were counting on to hit second. Hm, he's hitting eighth. Right? I mean, like you've you move some things around. Doesn't mean it's all gonna work. Yeah. I don't know whether Luke Rayleigh is going to continue to blossom. I don't know whether Polanco is uh thirty years old but looks, you know kind of plays like he's 37. I don't know if his ankle's going to hold up or if he's going to get hurt and we're never going to see him this I year. I say the same thing. There's a lot of injury concerns. Hannah Green. I mean, there's Garver. like a hundred of them. The yeah. whole, this whole team now is yeah. like an injury waiting to happen. That's concerning. But on the other hand, when they're healthy, like they may not have a bunch of superstars, but they got one and they got a bunch of other guys that are pretty good hitters who are going to give you professional at-bats and you put enough of those guys together with the kind of pitching that they still have, and you got a dangerous team. Doesn't mean they're going to be great. Doesn't mean that I don't want them to have spent more. And doesn't mean there weren't other ways to go about this. But given the parameters that Jerry Depoto had, his offense is better. Yeah. His starting pitching isn't worse. Mm-hmm. And he still probably needs a little help in the bullpen, but pretty darn cool. Uh, we'll dig into that. And oh, by the way, Jerry will join us at eight o'clock this morning. So we'll hear a little bit Jared, more about the that. From Jerry Depoto, the absolute only one in the world. Let's go. Okay. Jerry Depoto right. joins us at eight o'clock. I'll come right back. I'll give you everything you need to know, including the latest on the coaching search, a little bit more on the trade. It's next. Brock and Salk, Sales Sports on seven ten SeattleSports.com. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Well, the Mariners have acquired a legitimate full-time second baseman, and uh, he actually is pretty darn good. They're giving up a lot to get him to. We'll get to that in a moment. They reached a deal with the Twins yesterday to bring in 30-year-old veteran Jorge Polanco. He has spent his entire career in Minnesota where he's been an above-average hitter. He's got a little pop. He gets on base, professional at bats. He's also a switch hitter. He can play multiple infield spots. Justin Hollander says, yeah, he fits pretty well. A couple different reasons. The switch hit is huge for us, the way our team is constructed. To have a guy who's platoon neutral, um, who can hit in the middle of our lineup from either side, uh, is a big advantage for Scott as he stacks the lineup up to be able to go left, right, switch, or left, right, switch, and, and move the pieces around. 
Uh, obviously a middle infielder who has experience at, at a lot of spots on the diamond and so can solidify second base for us. A, another great fit. Uh, and just what we know about the person, everything we've done on our homework or background says he's a top of the scale leader, great makeup, great human being, great teammate. So really excited about the entire package that he brings to the table. Yeah, we're going to get a lot more on him from Phil Mackey uh, from Minnesota. He's going to join us uh, in about 10, 15 minutes. But yeah, that's a regular second baseman. Now you can take Rojas, slide him into more of a third base platoon with Urias, which seems a lot better than what they had right now. Is it perfect? No, but it's not bad. I'll tell you that. He's also better against lefties. Uh, He's got some durability questions, so we will see how that plays out. In fact, that was one of the things that was important to them, and they spent some time working and figuring out what his ankle is, how it'll hold up. As I said, we'll get a little bit more on that throughout the morning. The downside here, though, they gave up a lot to get him. Gabby Gonzalez, a top 100 prospect. Justin Topa, I think we saw what he did last year, really solidified this bullpen. They also give a pitching prospect, Darren Brown, and uh, recently acquired swingman, Anthony DiSclefani. Gonzalez, good prospect. Topa, valuable reliever. And I think you're going to need to replace that at some point or else your bullpen is right now one of the biggest holes on this team. Hollander knows that. Uh, some of both, and I, I definitely do want to take a moment to, to praise Tope on this call. Justin Topo was awesome for us last year. From day one of spring training, he showed up. He was open to coaching. He was open to new ideas. Um, worked his butt off to, to make sure he stayed on the mound every day uh, and was available to us and got huge outs for us all year long. Tope was great. We'll have to replace that. I think it's most likely will be internally with a possibility, like always, that we could add externally as well. I mean, they have some options internally and maybe Prelander Barrow is going to be ready. But I got to tell you, I would be a lot more comfortable seeing them add one more name. And it doesn't need to be, you know, hater, right? You don't need to have gone out and gotten the very best reliever on the market. But I do think they're going to need a little outside help unless... Adcock and some of these guys that we saw last year are going to be a whole lot better than what we've seen. Here's the second thing you need to know. Hey, you know what would be cool is if the Seahawks hired a coach. Uh, you would think this is going to happen pretty darn soon now with all the coaches on their radar free of their duties for the season. So to that end, they reportedly talked to Ben Johnson yesterday, expect to meet with Mike McDonald today. So you would hope that a hiring would be imminent after that. Ian Rappaport with more on McDonald's. My understanding with Seattle is there is a lot to like here. In fact, had the Ravens won, the Seahawks would have been willing to wait until after the Super Bowl just to speak with him. Obviously, nothing is done. Just I would say there's some mutual interest there for Seattle and for McDonald's. All right. So I like that they're talk, taking the time to do this right, for sure. And I think you also, though, want on the other side, make sure you have enough time to hire the assistant coaches that you want. So if this goes to one of the younger assistants, the Ben Johnsons, the Mike McDonald's, the Giro Averro even, you need to show what kind of staff they can build. And so the later you go, the more young, young coaches have been hired elsewhere. And we're seeing that, right? Some familiar names moving yesterday. Clint Hurt went to Philly. He's going to be the D-line coach there. Carl Scott's going to join him. Former UW coach Jimmy Lake is now going to run the defense in Atlanta next year for Raheem Morris. That's going to be an interesting one. But, hey, whatever he was as a head coach, he was a pretty impressive defense coordinator during his time here in Washington. So, yeah, those names are starting to move. You can afford to take your time to get it right, but at some point you need to also act so as to make sure that you don't lose out on the types of assistant coaches that you want. 
Here's the third thing you need to know. Oh, yeah, the Kraken are back at it tonight. They head to San Jose. They've got points in, what, three straight games. The Sharks stink, so you'd sure like to see them get one more or two more tonight. In fact, this will be three games out of four against last-place teams. Yeah, they beat Chicago. They beat Columbus. Managed a point against St. Louis. And uh, as I said, now you take on San Jose. So that may be who this team is. They may be the team that can beat up on the you know group below them, but struggle with some of the teams that are better than them. Uh, that happens when you don't have some of that elite talent, but you're built with the kind of depth that they have. All right, there you go. That's everything you need to know. Quarter past every hour here on the Brock and Salk show. Yeah, there's some interesting stuff. This Mike McDonald character is one of these guys where I I feel why the momentum is sort of shifted in his direction right now. But also, I think that there's some things that we're getting excited about that are not necessarily the same things that we should be. Go on. Right? It's the same thing we've been talking about. Why is Mike McDonald a hot candidate? He's coordinated a great defense. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. He's very smart. That's very great. I, I love that. And I'll dig into it a little bit more. I mean, he was what you, the guy tell you yesterday that he was going to go to be work on Wall Street yeah. when he got the offer to go work in the NFL. I love all that. I love sort of the you know, diverse background and like coming at it from another angle. I think that stuff is great. And I truly believe that what Seahawks fans actually want is Mike McDonald to be their defensive coordinator. That would be great. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I would love to have Mike McDonald as our defense coordinator here. He's already got that job. Maybe Ben Johnson is a little bit different. Maybe he's a little bit more of a, you know, stand in front of the group and set the culture for the whole building. And I'm not saying McDonald can't do that. But there have been a few red flags uh, raised on whether or not that's his strength or whether it's more just being a smart dude who also, you know, coordinates a really good defense. I'm not saying you can't succeed that way, but it, it does strike me as odd that with, you know, some of the coaches out there that have a little bit more of that oomph that you would go with a guy that that there are some concerns about that. And maybe it makes Averro more of an intriguing candidate. Maybe it makes Dan Quinn rise a little higher up on the list again, but we'll discuss. We got Ross Tucker on the show this morning at 730 as well. And yes, Jerry DePoto will join us at eight to talk about the trade they made yesterday and this offseason in general. All right. Uh, you want to find out about this Jorge Polanco? I do. Yes. I mean, I know he's a good player. It's the only thing I can think about. Here's what I know. He's a good player and he's especially good when he's healthy, but that he's not always healthy. So let's get the details. Our buddy Phil Mackey is in Minnesota. He's been on the show before, either to talk Vikings or Twins or whatever we need him for. Awesome dude. He'll know his stuff, and he'll join us next. Brock and Salk, Sales Sports on 710. This this is Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Polanco lifts one deep to right field, and he just changed the complexion of this game with one very important swing to the upper deck in Houston. That's new Mariner second baseman Jorge Polanco going yard in the playoffs. A pretty good reliever in Hector Neris. Who is this guy, and why is he here? Let's talk to Phil Mackey, our friend from Score North in Minnesota. Phil, how are you, brother? I'm doing well, man. This is uh, this is a merging of my my last three years in life. I feel like I'm I'm from Minnesota. I've covered the Twins. I've been a Twins guy my whole life. I lived in Queen Anne for two years. Yep. The Mariners have become my second favorite team. 
And it's fun to watch these two teams uh, interact with each other with a, a pretty big trade yesterday. So who is Jorge Polanco? He's a really good veteran second baseman. He takes great at-bats. He's reliable in the field. Um, that's the good, and we can talk more about sort of the, the details of that. The bad news is he's rarely healthy for a full season. And so um, that's part of the reason why he's available in the middle of his prime at age 30. He's also a free agent after the year, and the Twins are pretty loaded up the middle at shortstop and second base. So we kind of saw this coming from a few months away. But when he's on the field, he's an on-base guy. He takes great at-bats. He comes up with big hits, as you just played in that soundbite, a big home run late in a game against the Astros in the playoffs. Uh, he has a knack for scoring runs and running the bases, but he has chronic ankle problems. He's had knee issues. So if you can get like 120 games out of Jorge Polanco, and if, if those games can also come toward the end of the year in a playoff <laughs> run, you're really going to like him as a player. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I want to I want to get to a lot of the good. Let me just first focus on the injury stuff, get that out of the way, and then and then we'll we'll talk about how awesome he is. Um, when I hear you say ankle and knee. That doesn't sound like, you know, those aren't fluke injuries where he just, you know, he happens to get hit by a ball and, you know, breaks a wrist or something like that. They're not soft tissue. Maybe he's not working hard enough kind of issues, hamstrings, et cetera. They sound like things that aren't going away. I think that's accurate. You know, we were texting last night and I said, he's, he's 30 years old going on 37 <laughs> in a lot of ways. That's the best way I can explain it. You know, and, and if you if you look at his numbers too, you'll see some different dips. Like you'll see in 2022, you know, he, he had a career low batting average of 235. His slugging percentage was down, and that's not because he's not a productive hitter. It's because he grinds through when he feels 60 percent physically. He still tries to play, and and so I feel like the Twins the last two or three years have tried to figure out okay, what is that breaking point for him. He wants to be in the lineup. He will talk his way into the lineup. And sometimes the Twins had to protect him by either just sitting him more often or by putting him on the injured list. So I, I wish there was – I wish I could sit here and say, you know, like, like the hope with Byron Buxton for years. Byron Buxton hasn't played a full season. He's been in the big leagues for almost a decade, and we're still waiting on this maybe is the year where he doesn't get hit by a pitch in the wrong spot or he doesn't run into a wall or whatever it is. Um, I, I, I don't think we're talking about just bad luck injuries where you, you know, you get hit in the elbow and your elbow is inflamed for a month. It's something that the Mariners are going to have to deal with and manage. And he's probably not going to be a guy that goes out there, you know, all six games every single week. But again, when he's out there, Mariners fans are going to love him as a player in his best years. What is he? I mean, how good is he when he's at his best? In his best years, he is carrying your lineup for weeks at a time. He has more power than you would think. And I think he's making spectacular plays in the infield that are saving you games late in, in the eighth and ninth innings. Um, he's one of those guys where it's a one-run game, it's the Astros, it's August, it's September, and you need someone to take a great at-bat against a 99-mile-an-hour reliever that throws a breaking ball. He is the guy that you want up taking a professional at bat. He's very rarely in a big moment going to go down one, two, three, and look overwhelmed. He's going to get up there. He's probably going to foul off a couple pitches, and he's going to give your lineup some confidence. Uh, analytically, at his best, if there's people that get into the fan graphs weed like I enjoy too, 
He is a four, four and a half win player over 162 games, which makes him really, really valuable. Mm. But again, can, can, can he hold up for 115, 120 games? I don't think you're talking about 150 or 160 games here, so you're going to want contingency plans behind him for at least a month or two. He's a second baseman, right? Because, you know, I know yeah. he's played some short, he's played some third. How much positional flexibility is there really? I mean, I mean, the Twins had him at third base at times because you think about the Twins the last couple of years. They signed Carlos Correa to be their starting shortstop two years ago. And then Royce Lewis, the former number one overall draft pick, he's a shortstop by trade. They also have Brooks Lee coming up the pipeline as their number one prospect. He's a shortstop. So the Twins moved Polanco off short a couple of years ago to second base exclusively. But when he was injured, Edward Julian came up through the system. He's a second baseman, one of the biggest on-base guys in the major league last year. And so the Twins actually found themselves putting Polanco at third base at times. He is not a good defensive third baseman, and his bat doesn't play as well at third base either. Uh, so physically, he can play short. He came up as a shortstop. I mean, he broke into the big leagues when he was 20 years old as a shortstop. So shortstop is his native position going back 15 years. Um, and you can put him at third base, but he is primarily a second baseman at this point. Mm-hmm. Only in a pinch, I think, would you move him over to shortstop or, or third base at this stage. How uh, We're talking to Phil Mackey from Score North in Minnesota about, about Jorge Polanco, newest Mariner, second baseman. Uh, over the last few years, we've heard clamors for this team to you know have that clubhouse presence, that veteran who's kind of been there and done it and can help some of the younger guys. Is he one of those? Soft-spoken, quiet, professional is how I would describe his demeanor. He's not going to be a rah-rah, clubhouse speech kind of a guy. Um, he's, he's never been a vocal leader from that perspective, but much like Joe Maurer was for a long time with the Twins, you know, just got into the Hall of Fame last week, just a guy that's going to come to the ballpark, be a professional. You're not going to have to worry about him getting in trouble off the field or doing anything to upset teammates or – or ruffle feathers, uh, a guy that I would say fits into the fabric of a really good clubhouse and leads by example every single day. That's that's the best way I can explain. But a, a pretty quiet, low key professional guy that very rarely changes his facial expression. I feel like which you'll find, you'll find when you watch him. What's what's the reaction in Minnesota? Because I mean, he's a pretty good player. He has what this year plus a twelve million dollar option for twenty five if a team wanted to pick it up. So they could have had him for two more years. They're getting back, you know, a good reliever in Topa, and then really after that, a couple of prospects. What's the reaction been to him leaving? Yeah, I, I think it's we kind of saw this coming from the end of the year, especially. The Twins are one of the handful of teams that are caught up in this regional sports TV mess right now. They currently don't have a TV contract. They're trying to figure out where their games are going to be televised in 2024. So we figured that the payroll was going to come down to a certain extent. Right now, I think their payroll is down from like $159 million to $115 million. Mm. And, and Polanco... Polanco is sitting at a position of surplus for them. I mean, I already rattled off the shortstops and the, and the second baseman that they have ready to be on their 26 man roster. So it kind of, I think it kind of, it checks a few boxes. Number one, they save what 10 or $12 million for now. Although you could argue that bringing back some of these other contracts, like the, uh, the Di Sclafini contract, uh, it kind of evens out, 
So they're trading from a position of surplus. They're saving some money, which makes sense in the short term. Um, and, I mean, to be honest with you, they're getting away from a player that they didn't know if they were going to get 60 games or 140 games. So to have at least a little bit more assurance that an Edward Julian as a young player doesn't have a chronic ankle issue, it just made sense. Um, so I think fans are appreciative of the of the you know the decade that Jorge Polanco spent here, but everyone kind of saw this coming from you know the beginning of the off season. I got a I got a text here while we're talking, and I'd be curious if you think this is accurate. He says uh, two hundred six says he seems like a slightly less impactful Jose Ramirez when he's healthy. Is that accurate? Yeah, diet Jose Ramirez. I think that's accurate. I mean, when he, you think about this, when he's healthy, and 2021 is not that long ago. You know, he was 27 or 28 years old in 2021, and he had 33 home runs in 152 games, just under 100 runs scored, just under 100 RBI. He had a 503 slugging percentage yeah. at second base and shortstop. And he was really reliable with the glove. I mean, I think Ramirez is competing for MVPs on an annual basis. Uh, I'm not sure if Jorge, there might have been a year, maybe maybe the 2019 Bomba squad, he might have gotten MVP votes at one point. But, yeah, I, I think that's fair. Diet Ramirez, we'll, we'll call him. Well, but Diet Ramirez is second instead of a third. So, obviously, that helps uh, with the value a little bit. What was the uh, What's the excitement level around Minnesota right now for Joe Maurer going into the Hall of Fame? You know, here's the crazy thing. And I think I feel like you and I talked about we we went to a Mariners yeah. Twins game a couple of years ago, and I feel like we talked about the Joe Maurer phenomenon. He is more, I think he's more appreciated outside of Minnesota. People in Minnesota were shocked that he was a first ballot Hall of Famer. I'm shocked that he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Okay, so you kind of, I mean, he, you know, and again, I think he's deserving because when you start to stack up, the problem people yeah. make is they stack his numbers up against every other position. They'll stack his numbers up against first baseman, against third baseman outfielders. He was a catcher for 10 years in the major leagues. A, by the way, a six foot four catcher that, you know, you, you don't see a lot of big, tall catchers and the, the toll that that takes on your body, but to have the three batting titles, to be one of the best defensive catchers with multiple gold gloves in the game. I think if you're just stacking him up against catchers, he absolutely deserved to be a hall of famer. Uh, but he really, you know, he had no meaningful postseason success. And then I've always said that if his career just ended four years early with him as a catcher for 10 or 11 years, I think it would have been even more of a sure bet. The four years at first base and the and the depleted numbers he put up, I think maybe hurt his case in some ways. Uh, but just a, an on-base machine, an absolute grinder of a baseball player and uh and just a guy that if, if, you, if you ran into him on the street, uh, whether he's a baseball player or just a human being, you probably find very few people that are just nicer to talk to as well. So people are excited, but people are kind of shocked. Yeah. You know, it's, I think he got ripped on for not hitting enough home runs, not coming through in the playoffs enough. And, uh, and there's a certain segment of the fan base that just never really came around on Joe hmm. Maurer as one of the best players in, in the major leagues, but he's in the Hall of Fame. Pretty cool. Hey, thanks, man. Really appreciate it. And uh, it's nice when uh, it's nice when our interests align here, at least briefly, and we get to talk a little bit. Maybe we'll get some uh, Seahawks Vikings chatter in at some point. But until then, uh, thank you. We appreciate it. 
Awesome. We'll see you guys in the uh, in the American League playoffs yes. in a few months down from, the road. From your mouth to God's ears. All right, there we go. There's <laughs> Phil Mackey from Score North. Uh, Phil's awesome, does a fantastic job there. And uh, he's one of my friends in the business, one of Justin's friends in the business as well. They used to work together uh, at the same company. And he's like, what he's done with that, that, I mean, it's not even really a radio station. It's really a website. And they do YouTube. And they've, they've just built it into something. They, yeah. for a long time, had like a really bad signal, AM signal in Minneapolis that nobody could hear. So they were like, eh, forget that thing. Let's just like build a website. And it has taken off. They do great, great Vikings coverage and uh, really good twin stuff as well. So there you go. That is uh, Phil Mackey. And I like the comp. Thank you, 206. I think that's great. Uh, kind of a diet, uh, diet Jose Ramirez. Jose Ramirez. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think that's understandable. Yeah. I'm, I'm, it sounds like the Twins have the middle infield equivalent of what the Mariners have pitching. And it was like, well, clearly they, just like you said, we've known for months that this was going to happen. He's probably the odd man out. Mm-hmm. He's the oldest guy. He's still got some value, but he's still just quite on that fringe of how much you want to pay him. He's still got some juice left in the bat. Yeah, we're going to talk more about the injury thing, but that's the question. I mean, that's now sort of what this team is. Think about how many guys on this team you're going to say, hey, he's this. When healthy. When healthy, yeah. Polanco, Urias, Haniger, Rayleigh, France, Garver. I mean, all of them have struggled with injury issues so that, you know, it, it's a really cool thing what they've done to rebuild this lineup. And honestly, when this lineup is healthy, it's a good lineup. It is. It's not a, a elite sexy, lineup. Flashy. It's not sexy yeah. and flashy. You're right. But it's a good lineup. It really is. And when you pair it with A-plus pitching, which they have in their starting rotation, it's a pretty good team. And, and I don't know that it's the best team in the league, but that's a good team. And, you know, I still think they're going to need a little work in the bullpen. I'm a little worried about their starting pitching depth. There's still questions. But now, instead of Sam Haggerty and Dylan Moore being guys you're counting on to, like, be starters and play a lot, right now only one of those two guys is on your you know roster to start the year. And they're being used in the roles that they should be used in as backup players, as depth position players. Mm-hmm. So I, they have now turned themselves into a little bit more of a real roster. And is Polanco perfect? No, I don't think he's perfect. I'm a little worried about the age. Uh, when I hear 30 going on 37, that's a little nerve wracking. But you're getting a professional at bat, a guy who knows how to you know do the right thing in the biggest moments. I think there's some real upside and value for the Mariners if they can find a way to keep them healthy. And with Dylan Moore and Rojas, you may be able to get him off his feet a little bit more often and find ways to kind of nurse him through the season. But it's going to call for being, you know, disciplined on that. Right. And say, hey, this is what we want to do. And if you want your $12 million option picked up for the following year, here's what it's going to take in order for us to do it. The same way you're doing with Garver and Hanniger, getting them off their feet to keep them healthy. You're going to have to. That's the only way that's going to work. You're going to have to with all three of those guys. And you have the depth. You know the name we haven't talked about and that's still in the system who's doing some uh, work in at driveline right now is Taylor Trammell too. Like I realized that he hasn't done anything at the big league level of note to stick around long enough. Another depth piece. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to guess he's behind Cade Marlowe on that depth chart. Mm-hmm. Right. So that if you have outfield issues, you know, you've got Canzone and then you've got Marlowe, you've got Haggerty and more like I'm going to guess all of those are options before Trammell. Sure. But hey, if it works and driveline is the thing that does it, that, that sounds I also love good. to hear that Polanco's already been working out with Julio in the, in the offseason in Tampa and 
He, he doesn't strike out a clip anywhere near some of the guys that he's been asked to replace. We're going to spend 15 like minutes it. with Jerry DePoto today. Please, if I don't ask him a question about Julio Rodriguez, yell at me afterwards. <laughs> okay. like, do you have some sort of a <laughs> buzzer? Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, look, yell at me whenever. Just play a, just play a Julio I, clip. I, I do feel like the one thing that we've all missed on, all of us, me, you, everybody, the biggest thing we have all missed on this offseason is talking more about Julio. That for all of the, you know, emotion around the end of the Mariners, well, really the entirety of the Mariners season, but especially the end, with all of the emotion around 54%, all the other things that came out and sort of the, the frustration around, all understandable. But it has distracted us a little bit from what I think is still their biggest thing, which is how good is Julio going to be? Mm-hmm. Julio was not Julio last year. He was good. He wasn't great. And by the way, during the month or two when he was great, they were great. Nothing. Not Polanco, not Canzone, not, you know, Urias, not Rayleigh. None of those things will matter more individually to the success of this Mariner season than what you get from Julio Rodriguez. None of them. I mean, maybe taken as a whole, all of those guys together might matter more, might matter more. But nothing is more important on the offensive side of it than what you get from Julio. And so just remind me to ask DePoto or buzz me or, you know, tase me or whatever it is you got to do. But make sure that I ask Jerry a question about the guy because I think that's important. Uh, All right. Let me spend a couple of minutes since I didn't get to do it yesterday. I'll spend just a couple of minutes with you quickly talking about what the heck these coaches are doing in the NFL. It is madness. It is absolute insanity. And yes, you're right, Moore. I've been complaining about it throughout the entirety of this season because I feel like they there has been a gigantic overcorrection. Yes, for years, there was a problem where coaches in, in both the NFL and college were too conservative. They punted too often. I get it. I understand. I agree. I'm on board. They were punting too much. Some of the punts you saw on the positive side of the 50, I get it. To, to gain 15 yards of field position when it would go in for a touchback was too much. I, I'm with you. Mm-hmm. You you have me convinced. And overall, the numbers bear it out over the course of, of many, 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 many opportunities. They've overcorrected. Because when you are going for it on fourth down near midfield somewhere, or when you have an opportunity for a field goal, up two scores on the road against a better team, you take it. You take it. You go up three scores. And you probably end that game in the moment. Instead, you fail to get the fourth down. By the way, it was fourth and three, not fourth and inches. If it's fourth and inches, okay, I get it. You you better be able to get, you know, a foot and yeah, or you don't deserve to be there. I, I agree like with crazy, that. Yeah. This fourth and three where you're throwing the ball with Jared Goff. Yep. Am I insane? Am I? Are we taking crazy pills? Yes, Goff's been better. Yes, he, he did some great things. Fourth and three, Jared Goff is a better option up two scores on the road against the Niners in the playoffs than kicking a freaking field goal. Okay, then then what do you make of the argument of the this has been your identity all season long and you can't change it now? Yeah, I I have a chance to go up three scores against the Niners in the playoffs. Yeah, I'm taking it every time. I still think that's not why they lost that game. Oh, I do. Every single thing turned. Now, it doesn't mean he didn't make other so bad decisions. The drop pass, the fumble, those the catch hurt. off Iox head, those all happened because he went for it on fourth down. Yes. 
I don't agree with that. I 100% think that. And by the way, not going for he went for it again on fourth down, which was ridiculous. And 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 what he did going running the ball yeah, that inside was the goal line. Like, what are we yeah. doing? Yeah. That what one, that's the, one time out. Doing? That's the mistake. If he doesn't do that and he just throws the ball twice, scores the touchdown, he has an opportunity to kick it deep, call three timeouts, and get the ball back. My biggest fear about Ben Johnson is that some of the stench of Dan Campbell's decision-making is going to have infected oh him God. to the point where oh, wow. he can't coach. This guy's ridiculous. Oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> that is my big you fear about Dan Ben Campbell Johnson. Campbell like a week ago. Or he's learned I from did. this. That's I did. That's he's great. But that's what he's done all season. Insanity. Since, actually, the since the entirety. Absolute madness. <laughs> Absolute madness. I, I, mean, I appreciate the live by the sword, die by the sword mentality, but if I'm a Lions fan today, I am pulling my hair out again and again and again when I say we could have been up three scores on the road in the playoffs against, a, you're right, a better team. Madness. Go to the Super Bowl. Instead, you give that team life and you allow the them. I mean, it's just absolute is, madness. Madness. Madness, I say. I cannot believe that that occurred. But he's not alone. Honestly, it's like a, it's an epidemic, right? We talked about Dan Lanning, who, who, who did it twice against mm-hmm. UW, blew Oregon the opportunity to win that game. Jim Harbaugh against UW as well in the national title game. What was he doing? He was going to roll to victory until he went for it for no good reason. Again, up two scores and ended up giving UW life for a while. Yeah, they ended up winning, but I mean, that was ridiculous. Andy uh, Reid did the same thing earlier in, in the room day. With all of these like storied coaches uh, telling them how much of an idiot they all are. Like I would storied love to see coaches you, like Dan Campbell. You do this <laughs> What do you mean? Well, you love Harbaugh. I'm, okay, I'm sorry. One coach in there isn't the like Andy Reid, yeah, Harbaugh. You liked Dan, Dan Campbell Lanning? last week. Andy Reid. Oh my God! Arts. Focus on the one coach that you don't well, the like. Two. <laughs> There's four coaches I just mentioned. Two of them are legends. Two of them aren't. And I'd be happy to tell any of them that. And I you used, liked Dan Campbell before last week. I like that he's a leader, but he sure <laughs> seems to have a major issue with some in-game decision-making. I'm just making. saying I would pay money to see you go on this rant in a room with them. Well, I mean, that's just rude. I mean, like, you know, there's a difference between, you know, <laughs> doing my job and, like, screaming at people. But I, I think it was ridiculous. I thought it was ridiculous in the moment. This isn't revisionist history. As it was happening, I'm going, are you insane? Are, are you nuts? Have you not noticed the score? Did you get it here in postgame? Did you get it no, here? I heard that well, it's a 2% chance that they're going to do better. 2% in the NFL is nothing. No, Campbell didn't say anything about percentage. He just he goes by gut. He said he, oh, he said good. he felt that his guys could do it. He really wanted to like insanity. Yeah. His whole thing is just aggression no matter what the data is true the problem isn't analytics the problem is the way data is interpreted and the people who are doing the interpreting data valuable allowing it to rule every decision on a football field problematic and by the way i don't think dan campbell has any idea how to deal with data but whatever apparently he doesn't even care anyway you know what let's move on the mariners have made a deal (laughs) brock is going to be in in a moment i'm curious if brock's into this or not Brock has like, he's very mysterious when it comes to his Mariners take. So I'm curious where he goes next. Uh, We also, I'll tell you what, don't let me get through the next segment without giving you what I think looks like a projected Mariner lineup. We'll do it next. I'm Brock and Salt.